Well, hello there. Hello. Coming in a bit hot here. Didn't mean to do that. Now, I, I try to have these things all set up properly, and my mixer decides... Not my mixer, I'm sorry. My, my compressor decides to do whatever the hell it wants, and suddenly it's nice and quiet, and then it's loud, and then it's quiet again, and I don't understand it. Anyway, this is the Widescreen Podcast, show number 296. It is the weekend before Labor Day here in the U.S., and of course, the, the inevitable joke goes with it that where else but in America, America, where we love our guns and our Jesus, because Jesus was such an advocate of, of guns and violence. Anyway, so yeah, it, it's uh, Labor Day weekend here in America, which uh, of course, where else but here do you celebrate the working people of the country by taking the day off? Yeah, that makes sense, right? <laughs> of course, considering considering how many vacation days people get in other countries that we don't get here, yeah, I'll take whatever vacation days they're willing to give us. But otherwise, nothing else really going on here. I'm about to pass a thousand followers on Twitch, which is freaking bizarre. When I started streaming, I had no clue that it would ever get anything close to that. Uh, not that it really matters anyway. I, I've got friends of mine who have tens of thousands of followers on their channel, and yet you go into any one of their streams, and they might have 80, 90 people in chat. So really, followers doesn't mean a damn thing. It's it's just like this podcast. I have not checked the download numbers for this podcast in probably five years because I don't care. You know, I, I understand that movies and home theater is a very saturated topic on podcasts, I'm a nobody. I'm not a Hollywood insider, so it's not like I can get uh, interviews with directors and producers and all of that, or behind-the-scenes people. And I'm okay with that. Uh, as my voice cracks, I'm okay with that. I've been doing this podcast for, God, probably 15 years now, something like that. And I don't care about numbers. There is a small handful of loyal listeners. I enjoy doing this, so I do it. You know, same thing with Twitch. There's, there's always the same six or seven, you know, maybe ten people pretty much in just about every stream, and I'm okay with that. I wish I had more time to do both, but that's that's another topic entirely. So I guess the only other thing that's really cool since the last podcast is that my 3D Blu-ray of Spider-Man did come in. Uh, and yes, it was Region 2 locked, and I immediately used the necessary software to crack that and put it on my Plex server, and then shoved the 3D Blu-ray into, into the shelf with the rest of my... Oh, dozens and dozens of 3D Blu-rays. So, yeah, a big F you to Sony Universal for region locking that. Because I don't care. There was no reason for it. They, I'm sure that they, they were going to claim some kind of legal obligation, but pfft, no, there was no reason for it. If they were going to actually have a regular region uh, A release, okay, fine. Then maybe... But to try to region lock it to region 2, yeah, well, that's been resolved. So yeah, I, I finally got uh, I got Spider-Man on 3D. So yeah, if anybody from Sony Universal is listening, by all means, bite me. And, and please, don't pull that crap again. What a ridiculous waste of time. Anyway, I mean, well, the plus side, however, is it was only released in Australia, and right now the US dollar is very strong against the Australian dollar, so I got it really cheap. Unfortunately... A lot of the Marvel 3D Blu-rays are still being released, but they're being released in Japan, 
where the discs are coming in at about $60. That's the actual price that they charge for U.S. residents. It's about $60, and that doesn't include shipping, so that sucks. Oh, well, I'm just impressed that the major studios are still releasing 3D Blu-ray at all. But, well, you know, I was going to say with, with Jaws coming out in 3D does not mean that there's going to be a 3D Blu-ray release, and I don't like those kinds of movies anyway, so I probably wouldn't buy the 3D blu I mean, I might just to show support. Uh, I will confess, there have been a few 3D Blu-rays that I bought where I don't really care about the movie, but I wanted to show support for the format. Might have to do that if they release Jaws in 3D Blu-ray, but I doubt it. Anyway, no, I have not yet seen, seen uh, Lord of the Ring, Rings of Power. I plan on it. But, you know, free time. What is it? Those of you who have free time, I envy you. But knowing me, I'd fill up any free time I had with uh, whatever is, is on my to-do list anyway. All right, anyway, enough of that banter. Let, let's go on with the show notes. Some, you know, not a lot of stuff here. This might be a shorter than normal podcast, which I don't think anybody will disagree with. But some reports are coming out that if you are in the market for a new TV, obviously 4K TVs, and that's pretty much all that they sell anymore, uh, hold out just a little bit longer because it looks like we are in a perfect storm for price drops. So apparently the price of LCD panels, now this, this is LCD, not OLED, just remember that. Uh, but the price of LCD panels have been continuing to drop. Then apparently Samsung is planning to reduce the number of TV screens that it's ordering for new TVs, meaning that there could be a surplus of screens from the manufacturers that they're going to want to sell off cheap to other TV vendors. And apparently, the makers of LCD screens have been cutting production uh, in the face of order reductions, but they haven't cut them enough yet, which, if true, means that there's going to be an excess quantity of screens available, and they're going to want to dump those off. Now, yes, I mean, we have to keep into mind, keep, keep into mind, keep into account things like chips and shipping costs, clearly. There's still an issue of trying to keep up with capacity for electronics, and there's still the shipping issue that's going on at the various ports. But all of these reports on TV surplus, TV screen surplus hitting so closely together, is kind of an indication that there's going to be pressure to reduce prices soon. Now, again, we're talking about LCD TVs. We're not talking about OLEDs. I mean, really, the only, the only OLED or OLED manufacturer out there is LG Display. So they can do whatever the hell they want. And since everybody was buying TVs during the pandemic because they were stuck at home, TV manufacturers are going to need to have extra incentive to try to get people to buy new TVs, which would also mean price drops. So, I mean, granted, this is all speculation, but a lot of TVs have been sold over the past two years. And if these reports are correct, that production is ramping down, uh, orders are, are dropping as well, but that means that there are going to be a lot of excess screens left in inventory. That means that the wholesale price for those screens is going to drop more than it even is now, which means that later on, TV prices are probably going to drop even more. Plus, we've got Christmas shopping coming up soon, and there are going to be lots of sales there. So if you're in the market for a TV, you still might want to wait a few more months. You could probably get an even better deal than you could get now. Now, I do want to reverse a little bit of hype here because for some reason, a lot of the tech websites out there are reporting that LG is unveiling an OLED TV that, that has uh, speakers 
built right into it in the sense of, well, there are no speakers per se. It turns the panel itself into speakers. So it actually vibrates the panel to make the sound. So, I mean, according to this, LG is claiming that they can create a, quote, cinematic level of immersion uh, using a fake 5.1 sound from a panel. And I say fake 5.1 because it's a single panel. And it's right there in front of your face. So all of the audio will be coming at you from that single panel. Don't ask me how they're going to get a 5.1 surround sound out of that, but regardless... Well, and quite frankly, I doubt they can get the five or get the dot one simply because having to vibrate that screen in a way that could simulate bass, you know, subwoofer sounds probably is not going to be a good thing for the screen. But for some reason, a lot of websites have been going crazy with, oh, LG, LG could be solving the problem of having built in speakers and blah, 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 blah. And I'm just thinking, uh, excuse me. Sony did that in 2017 with one of their Bravia models. This is not new technology. So I, I really don't know why these, these tech webs... Well, I'm sorry. Yes, I do understand why they're doing it. It's called advertising clicks, which fortunately is something I don't have to worry about. So basically, I mean, if you've seen one of those articles touting about, oh my God, LG, speakerless TV, it's going to use the screen, blah, 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 blah. Sony can come out and say, bitch, done that. <laughs> and did it five years ago. So, you know, don't, don't, if you've seen that article, don't give in to the hype. On streaming news, there's a lot of different things going on. Probably the biggest what is that the Batgirl film, which was to be released on HBO Max, is now not going to be seen anywhere. It has been completely scrubbed. Uh, it will not be seen theatrically or anything. In fact, you will probably never see it. You will probably never see a, uh, you know, like a Snyder cut of it. So, Batgirl was greenlit back in 2001 uh, as part of a, a big Warner Brothers effort to create complete, you know, theatrical quality movies for HBO Max. However, the new corporate people who have taken over have decided, no, we're going to just scrub Batgirl. And the really crazy part is they decided to do that not because of necessarily the quality of the film. Supposedly it hadn't gotten great reviews, but whatever. It was a first time showing, supposedly. That's on the rumor mill. Uh, but it was because they wanted to actually take a tax or a, some kind of a fiscal write-off. But the thing is, the Batgirl movie was not a small movie. It had uh, J.K. Simmons in it. Uh, Leslie Grace, obviously, as Barbara Gordon or a Batgirl. And this is where Michael Keaton was to reprise his role as Batman. And apparently, uh, Grace had already had discussions on what the sequel could be about. So there were already hopes to do this. And at this point, the movie cost $90 million to make. You know, for that kind of thing, most studios will want to get something back on their money, whether it's, uh, and well, you know, sh showing it like they're supposed to or selling it as a rental, or even putting it out theatrically. You never know. But no, apparently it's not going to be shown at all anymore because being taken as a tax write-off, they were trying to reduce... Uh, I think they were trying to take a $2 billion write-off or, or something like that. But basically, because this was bundled in with that, they cannot show it. It is basically being written off uh, for, for taxes and revenue purposes. So for them to actually show it would mean that they're in violation of various tax laws. 
So yeah, it's being completely removed. So I mean, apparently it was deep into post-production, but it still was going with visual, uh, sorry, temporary visual effects and temporary music. And what's worse, the filmmakers apparently do not have any access to the footage. Now, now compare that with Zack Snyder when it came to Justice League. When he ended up leaving that because of his daughter's suicide, he at least had a laptop that had a four-hour cut of the film on it. He still had access to the source material, and it wasn't a tax write-off. But if you were hoping to see Batgirl, for good or for ill, uh, apparently it's not going to happen now, ever. And continuing on that one, this, this ends up showing a little bit of uh, the mentality of why we don't see a lot of things on streaming that we could. And honestly, I'd never taken this particular thing into account. But now that I read this, I'm like, well, that would explain why certain things are no longer or have never been available for streaming. And that's one of the things people might think I'm living in the Stone Age because I am a huge, huge proponent of physical media and buying the movies and TV shows that you want on disc. Yes, you have to find a place to store it. I get that. Yes, you have to have a player for it. Or in my case, you know, you could always rip the contents of the disc and put it on a Plex server or something to that effect. So even if something happens to the disc, you'll still have the movie or the TV shows. But at least when you have it, it's yours. I talked in, was it the previous podcast or the one before that, how people in Germany and Austria are completely losing access to movies that they purchased through their PlayStation Store. Well, you know, no one can come and take the discs that I've got. And if they do, that's burglary and I can sue them. But I always thought one of the reasons why so many TV shows and movies did not show up on streaming services is it takes time. Those things have to be remastered and, and you know prepared for streaming. That takes time. That takes money. That content has to be stored somewhere. That takes money. But it wasn't until I read this that I thought, oh, that's another reason. That's a really crappy reason, but that's another reason. Apparently, in addition to things like Batgirl, Warner Brothers Discovery has decided to remove nearly 200 Sesame Street episodes from HBO Max. Now, you might think, wait a minute, why? What, serve, what does that serve? I mean, the content is already there. The files are already on the servers ready to be streamed. What's the big deal? Why are they taking down 200 Sesame Street episodes? What could be the cost savings in that? Residuals. A lot of people who are involved with movies and TV shows get residuals. So every time those movies or TV episodes are played, and that can be tabulated, the people involved in those have to get paid by the studio. So it's not saying that it won't come back, but according to CNBC, Warner Brothers Discovery is looking to reduce its residuals burden as it approaches the merger of Discovery Plus's primarily nonfiction catalog with HBO Max, in what they're calling a combined video-on-demand service that will supersede both platforms. But they claim that moving those platforms outside of the Warner Brothers umbrella will result in tens of millions of dollars of savings and residual payments. But as long as it's still on HBO Max, they have to keep paying those residuals. So they decided, now Sesame Street, okay, I, didn't, I can't imagine Sesame Street's that much in demand. Apparently it is. But then that could explain why there's so much other content out there that might not have a huge following or a huge, you know, demand for it, but at the same time might involve residuals, which could involve legal issues. 
And this is why I love physical media. See, what I really wish, and unfortunately this would never pass any kind of legal muster in in probably any country in the world, maybe a few, I don't know, is this, this, this community project. I would love to see a community project where people can take movies and TV shows that are not available and have never been available on any streaming platform. Your VHS tapes, beta, you know, I don't want to say, well, DVD, whatever, disc release, that never, ever been released on streaming and make them available somewhere. I mean, yes, you could say BitTorrent kind of already does that, but BitTorrent's a little bit of a pain in the ass. And if no one is seeding any kind of, of, of material that you're looking for, you're not going to find it. But, you know, one place that is meant specifically to be an archive material of, of, of stuff that has been released on physical media, but it just isn't available anywhere. You know, and the studios have no intention of releasing it anywhere. I would, I would absolutely love to see that. You know damn well it ain't going to happen. I mean, this is the only reason why I give the Warner Archive credit. They're the only studio that I know that actually makes non-popular or, or, you know, just movies that have never really been popular and certainly are not now, but they still make them available for on-disc on-demand. So, yeah, you have to pay a little bit more, but the disc is manufactured when you order the movie and then they send it to you. Oh, well, that, that probably involves residuals as well, though. Uh, whatever. But, you know, again, this is yet another excuse as far as I'm concerned, another justification, if you want to watch something and you can afford it and you've got the space for it, just buy it on disc. Buy it used on eBay or, or used on whatever, whatever store you want to use. If you have a video store near you, shop there. They're going to always be offering older discs and Blu-rays and so, maybe even VHS for dirt cheap. Anyway, anyway, enough of that. I know, I, I went on a, a bit of a soapbox on that. But I, I find it amazing that for how many people might bust my chops because I prefer to have my movies and my video games on disc. Yeah, it's crap like this that helps to justify that. But, you know, honestly, it's kind of funny because in Warner Brothers Discoveries, uh, well, apparently their CEO, a guy named David Zaslav, is not considered to be well-liked. Uh, he he his his plan to combine HBO Max and Discovery Plus has been widely panned, and everyone from Kevin Smith to John Oliver has criticized his decision to kill stuff that's available like Batgirl and so forth strictly for tax write-offs. <sighs> but apparently, if you look at a lot of the stuff that he's pulled off as a tax write-off, it's been stuff that. Well, let's just say it's content that doesn't involve white males, and I'll let you extrapolate from that. But apparently, in, in an attempt to cut $3 billion in costs, people have responded so negatively to what he's done that Warner Brothers Discovery has lost $20 billion in market capital. So yeah, they, they've been trying to find $3 billion in savings, and as a result, the content that they've been cutting, Wall Street has made them lose $20 billion in market cap. Oh, yes, and another thing that, that got pulled in this whole crap is uh, they pulled the plug on a brand new animated Batman series from Matt Reeves and J.J. Abrams. I know a lot of people were looking forward to that as well, so now that's been scrubbed. Yep, not a good day for, for HBO Max and, and Warner Brothers Discovery. 
If you uh, if you use Disney Plus, Hulu, or ESPN Plus, get ready for price hikes. Beginning on December 8th, Disney Plus with ads will cost $7.99 a month, which is the exact same that Disney Plus costs now without ads. If you want the ad-free version of Disney Plus, you're going to have to start to fork out $10.99 a month. You know, because Disney doesn't make billions of gobs of money, so they need more. Hulu is also going to have prices go up. It currently is $6.99 a month for their ad-supported tier. That's going to go up $7.99 a month. That's not awful. Uh, the ad-free tier is going to go from $12.99 to $14.99. ESPN Plus is going from $6.99 to $9.99, uh, or $70 a year to $100 a year beginning on August 23rd. Oh, so it's already happened. It's already happened. So, yeah, got to rake in those bigger profits so they can pay more senators to change copyright more often. I mentioned Plex before. Uh, if you have a Plex account, you've probably already received an email. But if not, uh, you should change your Plex password. Uh, they apparently detected suspicious activity on one of their databases. And it turns out that a third party, meaning a hacker, was able to access data, including emails, usernames, and encrypted passwords. So they say that the passwords were, at, were hashed with best practices. So hopefully they were very secure. Wouldn't hurt to change your password anyway. They did say that credit card and other payment data are not stored on our servers at all and we're not vulnerable in this incident. Uh, then where exactly are credit card and payment data stored? If it's not on their servers, that means it's on someone else's servers. Who? Not that I'm nervous or skeptical about such things. So anyway, they said that we've already addressed the method that the third party employed to gain access to the system, and we're doing additional reviews to ensure that the security of all our systems is further hardened to prevent future incursions. So not necessarily a big deal. It's good practice to change your passwords on a regular basis anyway. But in case you do have a Plex account and you haven't, for whatever reason, seen that email, you might want to go and, and change your password again. And finally, in the, well, kind of sort of streaming bit here, Halloween ends which was already set for a theatrical release on October 14th, now will also debut on NBC Universal's Peacock streaming service, Day and Date, which is also what happened with Halloween Kills. But even at that, Halloween Kills still did very well at the box office, even though it had a Day and Date release with Peacock, where it made $49 uh, on its opening, domestically made $92 million dollars, and even though it only had a budget of $20 million, it made $131 million globally. So, yeah, being shown on Peacock day and date did not really impact that at all, uh, considering that it still made almost seven times its budget. Speaking of box office, not really going to talk too much about that, because by the time you hear this, another weekend will have passed, and I don't have... I, I, can't, I can't do anything with the future. <laughs> <laughs> if I could, I would have won the lottery many times by now. I actually wouldn't mind hitting the lottery just once, but that's a different topic. So all I know is we are now in the post-summer slump. Box office revenues for August were not all that hot. And it's probably going to keep going for a while, which, I mean, that's, that's not unusual. But that said, Universal has been the first studio since 2019 to cross the $3 billion mark at the global box office. You can thank Jurassic World Dominion, which in and of itself brought in close to a billion dollars at the box office. Minions Rise of Gru brought in almost 800 million globally. And even The Bad Guys, which is DreamWorks, which is owned by Universal, that brought in a global amount of almost 250 million globally. 
But there's no question whatsoever that Paramount is really, really happy with Top Gun Maverick. That movie has been going crazy at the box office. It still is making money at the box office, even though it's now available for streaming. But as of right now, it has passed the $1.4 billion mark. Even with all of the other movies that, that Tom Cruise has done, this has been his biggest moneymaker by far. And it is Paramount's biggest movie ever. So yeah, it's now available for streaming. Download that way, you know... I, I'm being petty, I know, but every time, every time I see it's headed to digital, it drives me nuts because the discs are digitally encoded. <laughs> the discs are not analog, they're digital. Stop saying that it's a digital download, because even when you got the disc, it's a digital playback. But anyway, if you want the disc instead, the DVD, the Blu-ray, and the Ultra HD Blu-ray will be available on November 1st. But even then... They're going to keep the movie in theaters for as long as it keeps making money, and I don't blame them. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you would know that The Eternals did not do very well theatrically. It had a, a, an expected production budget of about $200 million. Globally, it only took in about $400 million, so maybe break even, but generally that's considered to be a slight loss. Definitely was not considered to be a Marvel fan favorite. But even though a sequel to it was not part of the Comic-Con announcements for Marvel, actor Patton Oswalt said that there is going to be a sequel and Chloe Zhao is going to direct it. Now, whether this was wishful thinking or not, well, the, the folks at Marvel know. But even Marvel producer Nate Moore claimed that Eternals 2 was not a must-have for the studio. He said, obviously we have ideas of where we could go, but there isn't a hard and fast rule where we have to have three of these things and this is the first. If you just watch Eternals, you can go enjoy the Eternals, you can understand the Eternals, and you're good to go. Now, there was a post credit scene, and the movie itself did leave some loose ends. But as of yet, there's been no official announcement, so even though uh, Patton Oswalt said, yeah, it's coming, you might want to put that one in the rumor category. But if I find anything else to the, uh, to the contrary, I'll let you know. This one is also very firmly in the rumor category, but apparently... There is going to be a Rocky spin-off called Drago, which of course is the character that Dolph Lundgren played back in Rocky IV, way back in 1985. Of course, his character and his son's his character's son, uh, Victor, were also last seen in Creed II. But apparently, MGM execs were impressed enough with a script that was handed in to him regarding a new Drago take that they've decided, hey, we're going to go with this. And there you go. It's still rumor. And it's the same thing. Lundgren himself said that a Drago film was in the works. But all he said was that, I think there's some talk about doing a spinoff. So call it what you will, but I'm going to call it a rumor at this point. Now this one, th this is not movie related. I don't care. This completely feeds in to my 80s teenager nostalgia. AMC Networks is developing a series reboot of <laughs> Max Headroom. Those of you who are old enough to know who he is, I am not kidding. Those of you who have no clue who he is, I suggest you go look it up. And the best part is, Matt Frewer, who played Max Headroom originally, is set to reprise his role. And what's even a little bit crazier is that it's being produced by Elijah Wood. Frodo is producing Max Headroom. So for those who have never heard of him, uh, he was basically a computer-generated TV host. He was 
pretty much the world's first artificial intelligence TV personality. Uh, so known for biting commentary, quick wit, and manic glitching, very much part of the, the, the skit there. Uh, the supposedly computer-generated TV host, played by Furrer, was first introduced in the 1985 British cyberpunk TV movie Max Headroom, 20 Minutes Into the Future. He immediately became a pop culture sensation, went to have his own music video show, his own talk show, started a whole bunch of advertisements, appeared on the cover of Newsweek, and even had his own primetime series for ABC back in 87 and 88. So obviously his popularity started to die in the late 80s and early 90s, but he's still been a, a cult favorite, for especially for old farts like me. So this is amazing, and I want to see it. I'm going to keep a lookout for this, and if I find out any more, I am definitely going to talk about it. Got a number of release date announcement and changes going on. Uh, let's see, first off, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom uh, needs more time in post-production, so that's going to be moving from March 17th to December 25th, so it's going from March to Christmas Day. The Shazam sequel, Fury of the Gods, that was supposed to be out on December 21st, 21st. That's going to go to Aquaman 2's old date, so now Shazam is being pushed back to March 17th. And Shazam 2 will now be shown on IMAX screens as well. Now, interestingly, two movies that were originally destined for HBO Max are now going to be opening on the big screen exclusively, which includes New Line's House Party, which is going to open on December 9th of this year, and Evil Dead Rise on April 21st, 2023. Uh, some other big release dates, uh, The Nun 2 is going to be opening on September 8th, and Stephen King's Salem's Lot, uh, well, it was supposed to be April 21st, 2023, but now it has a to-be-determined date. Sony has announced that the upcoming Garfield movie, with Garfield voiced by Chris Pratt, and, well, and Samuel L. Jackson in there as well, oh boy. <laughs> Garfield, you motherfucker! <clears throat> anyway. That movie is scheduled for February 16th, 2024. Jim Davis, who is the creator of Garfield, will serve as executive producer. Now, that's at least something, so hopefully it'll be better than the, the previous Garfield movie. Joker 2, or Joker Folia 2, I hope that's how it's pronounced, is getting an, a release date of October 4th, 2024. As much as everybody involved with the original one said that it was really meant to be a one-off but, you know, if if a good enough script came along and so forth, yeah, yeah, money talks, I'm sure. If it's the only, well, it's, I don't want to say the only, but it's the highest grossing R-rated movie ever at $1.07 billion. Well, yeah, I guess that is the only, the only R-rated film to cross the billion-dollar mark because the second place is Deadpool 2 at $786 million and Deadpool at $782 million. And in the rumor category regarding that movie, Zazie Beetz supposedly is in talks to reprise her role as Sophie Dumond, or whatever it was, um, for, Joker, for the next Joker movie. Uh, this comes after Lady Gaga has been confirmed that she is going to be part of the movie, but we don't know who yet. Everybody has on the rumor mill that she's going to be playing Harley Quinn. There is a new Kung Fu Panda movie coming out. Universal has set March 8th of 2024 as the theatrical release for the fourth movie. Uh, Jack Black coming back to voice Panda. Well, I mean, Poe. He is a panda, but you know what I mean. No directors are set as of yet, so it hasn't even started, but Universal is, you know, staking their claim to March 8th of 2024. 
Sonic the Hedgehog 2 was a box office success, had a $100 million production budget, came in at $400 million worldwide, so definitely a profit for Paramount. You know what that means? We're coming out with a... We're, Paramount is coming out with a Sonic the Hedgehog 3. We are getting a Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Yeah, I'm getting tired. Does it show? I'm only half an hour into the podcast and I'm getting tired. That's not a good sign. Anyway, Sonic the Hedgehog 3 will open in theaters on December 20th, 2024. And Sonic 2 was one of the first, was one of the few films of the COVID era, the COVID era, to open ahead, financially, of its predecessor. The original Sonic the Hedgehog had a domestic opening of $58 million, where Sonic the Hedgehog 2 came in at $72 million. Paramount also announced that its untitled Smurfs animated musical, which was previously set to open on December 20th, 2024, has been pushed back to February 14th, 2025. Is it me or does it sound really weird to be talking about movies in 2025? Maybe it's just because I'm an old fart. You know, <laughs> 2025. Oh my God, Sonny, I can't believe I've lived this long. Anyway, for those of you who love your horror movies, a new entry in the Saw franchise is officially given a green light. The next Saw film, which currently is untitled, is slated for release on October 27th, 2023. Absolutely no information regarding plot, characters, or any of that nonsense. But I know there are people who listen to this podcast and do love those kinds of movies, which is why I cover them. That's my job. So as soon as I find out any more information about it, I will let you know. Another movie about which we have absolutely no information, including release date. <laughs> God. There is now a live-action Pac-Man movie. In the works. Yep. And live action. I mean, how? How are they getting... <clears throat> anyway, if you don't know what Pac-Man is, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> how can anyone live on this planet right now uh, in, in any kind of industrialized nation and not know what Pac-Man is? Well, we've got nothing on this. No release date, no director, no production start. Nothing. All we know is that it's going to be a live-action Pac-Man. Production companies involved are going to be Wayfarer Studios and, and Bandai Namco, who owns Pac-Man. Unfortunately, the only two movies or, or any kind of other media like that that I can think of when it comes to Pac-Man are either the cartoon from way back when I was a teenager, or the Pixels movie. Uh, I try not to think of the Pixels movie. And of course, what would this podcast be without multiple remakes? So here's another one. 20th Century is apparently, this is a rumor, by the way, let me specify that. 20th Century is apparently looking for a reboot of the 80s classic movie Working Girl with Selena Gomez in final negotiations to produce. So the original 1988 movie starred Melanie Griffith, Harrison Ford, Sigourney Weaver, and John Cusack. Uh, and revolves around an ambitious secretary, Melanie Griffith, who takes on her boss's identity while the latter is laid up with a broken leg. It was one of the big breakout hits of 1988 uh, that brought in more than $100 million at the domestic box office, which, I mean, for 88, that's not, that's not bad. It was also critically hailed and earned six Oscar nominations, including a Best Picture nomination. Now, right now, they don't have anything else on it. They say that it will likely premiere on Hulu, but there's no guarantee of that. 
But even if it does, I'm kind of at a point now where it, it's kind of dumb for me to focus on movies. There, there are so many new things coming out on streaming services. So I'm going to be try to cover those more and more. And, and no, I, I have not seen the new Amazon Lord of the Rings set. So I'm getting there. I will get there. I do want to see it. Potential big update for the Ghost of Tsushima movie that's coming out. So remember when Parasite uh, won the Academy Award for Best Film in 2020? Filmmaker Bong Joon-ho reminded people that once you overcome the one-inch-tall barrier of subtitles, you'll be introduced to so many more amazing films. And he's not wrong. There are some games that I play, like the uh, Yakuza series. Everything is in Japanese, and it's all subtitled. And I don't mind it. I have an appreciation for it. It makes me feel like it's more authentic to the setting that it takes place in. Dances with Wolves had a lot of subtitles to it. And it still went on to win a ton of, of uh, awards, including the Academy Award for Best Picture. Well, now director Chad Stahelski is saying that he is actually considering having his upcoming Ghost of Tsushima movie done entirely in Japanese. So the game that it's based on actually did have a Japanese track to it, except all of the mouth actions were by the English-speaking characters who did the, the motion capture. So it was kind of weird to have a game based in ancient Japan with Japanese people talking on it, but yet the mouth was going in English. But it, don't don't get me wrong, it was still a freaking amazing game. I'd play it again in a heartbeat. But Chad Stahelski has said that he wants, he, or he strongly would like to do this with an all-Japanese cast in Japanese, and apparently Sony is completely on board, and he has their backing. But at the same time, he does acknowledge that there is a fiduciary responsibility to the studio, and he said, no one is going to give me $200 million to do a technology push movie without speaking English. I get it. So I have to be clever and I have to figure out what's fiduciarily responsible to the property, to the studio, and still get what I want out of it and still make something epic. Again, big challenge, man. Well, yeah, big challenge. I'm looking forward to seeing it. That game was so good. That game was the Assassin's Creed in Japan that us Assassin's Creed's fan have been waiting for. And of course, the folks at Ubisoft never gave it to us. So Sony did. Oh, and by the way, for those of you who are also Assassin's Creed's fan, uh, Ubisoft has not spoken about it yet, but they have officially announced that the new Assassin's Creed game is going to be called Assassin's Creed Mirage. They're going to be telling more about that on September 10th at uh, noon Pacific or 3 p.m. Eastern. And if if they could kind of scroll back a little bit of the RPG elements and, and, you know, go back to kind of what it used to be like. I'd be really, really happy on that one. I didn't mind that it incorporated RPG elements, but Valhalla in particular seemed to very be, be very much in your face, go, Rawr, come and get me, bad guys, Rawr, look at me. And it's like, that's that's completely opposite to what Assassin's Creed is supposed to be about. Please don't do that, Ubisoft. Can you get away from that? That'd be great. Thanks. Now, here's something that longtime listeners to this podcast have heard me talk about lots of times because it was a very awkward situation. MoviePass. I've talked about MoviePass in the past. Now, for those of you who don't know what MoviePass was, 
It was basically a movie ticket subscription service that was independent of any theaters. You pay X amount of money per month, you get effectively a credit card or debit card. It was a debit card. And you just go in and you pay for whatever ticket you want to watch. No, whatever movie you want to watch. You know what I'm saying. But it would be something like you pay $20 a month and then you could see as many movies as you want. Now, they were going on the hopes that... Not everybody would take advantage of that, so you'd have a lot of people who are paying into it but aren't using it on any given month, and that would balance out the people who are using it on a given month. And, yeah, it was really kind of weird, and they didn't price it well, they didn't handle it well, and not too shortly after that, they declared bankruptcy. They're back! <laughs> Movie Pass is uh, their announced launch date is September fifth. So by the time you hear this podcast, they might have already launched. So according to the released, uh, a wait list opened on August twenty fifth, and that is supposedly the only way to sign up for the service for the foreseeable future. So the September fifth launch date is a general target. Plans are to relaunch on or around this Labor Day weekend, with three pricing tiers depending on the market. Will be rolling out so. More expensive areas, like you know, the major cities, you'll pay more. These tiers are supposedly $10, $20, and $30. Each level will get you a certain amount of credits to be able to use toward movies each month. So the principle is still the same. You pay X amount of month, um, X amount a month, they give you a certain amount of credits, and you use those credits to go see movies in any theater that you want. So I mean, the, the whole thing was that the company drove themselves out of business, basically, because their subscription model was too good to be true. They priced themselves ridiculously low, and people were jumping on board to it, and then they started to say, oh, uh, you know, we really need to raise prices on this. Now we goofed, and then, of course, people got upset by that. So they collapsed in 2019, and in 2021, the Federal Trade Commission ruled that they deliberately misled their customers and failed to protect users' data. But the simple fact of the matter is that currently, uh, well, things are a lot different than they were back in 2019 when they folded. Now, if they play their cards right, this could be a better way to get people back into the theaters as well. Plus, one of the things that I always said was a good thing about MoviePass is that it might help, pe and, and actually data supported this, was that it helped people to go see movies that they might not have otherwise gone to see. Um, I don't want to say low budget, that's not what I mean. But certainly, you know, not block blockbuster kinds of movies. Smaller, independent films, dramas, that sort of thing. Because if you're going to end up paying a full ticket price, whether it's a blockbuster or not, you're probably not going to pay that to go see a movie that you might or might not like. So with MoviePass, there really was no risk. If you were someone who wanted to see several movies a month, then just go to see that one movie that might or might not be at risk because you're not paying the full price for the ticket. And now that we're in the post-summer slump and things probably won't kick in again until October or November, right now there's a slow period for movie theaters and something like MoviePass could be a great way to get some people back into the seats to see some movies that they otherwise might not want to pay a full ticket price for. We'll see. We'll see. Hopefully they learned their lesson. Of, well, we'll find out. Of course, there have been some notable deaths since the last podcast. One, possibly two, you definitely know about. Uh, Six Days, Seven Nights star Anne Heche has died. 
She died after, uh, well, she was in a coma for several days after sustaining severe injuries from a car crash in Los Angeles. She was reportedly driving through a community at up to 90 miles an hour and ended up crashing into someone's house. The car then caught fire, and she was trapped in it for 30 minutes while firefighters tried to put the fire out. So unfortunately, severe smoke inhalation and, of course, uh, actual head injuries as a result of the crash ended up putting her into a coma, after which she was declared to be brain dead and put on life support. Uh, her family decided it was, it was always her choice to donate her organs, so she was being kept on life support to determine which organs are viable, and after that, she was taken off the ventilator and died shortly thereafter. She gained international fame back in the 90s with several movies, Six Days, Seven Nights, Donnie Brasco, I Know What You Did Last Summer, uh, Wag the Dog. She also starred on TV in Ally McBeal, uh, did a voice work in Avatar The Legend of Korra, as well as had recurring roles in Chicago PD. And Heche was 53. Director Wolfgang Peterson has also died. He started his career in Germany, uh, but then took to Hollywood with his 1981 breakout film, uh, Das Boot, which was nomi nominated for six Academy Awards. Two of those went to him for adapted screenplay and directing. But after that, he went to Hollywood and made a number of different movies. The Perfect Storm, Air Force One, Outbreak in the Line of Fire, Troy, Poseidon, Enemy Mine, which if you've not seen Enemy Mine, you should give it a shot. Excellent movie. Um, Louis Gossett Jr., Dennis Quaid, in which a human and an alien, where they're at war with each other, end up stranded together on a planet, and they end up having to trust each other to survive. Excellent movie. Highly underrated, I think. It seems to have been, been lost to time. I don't see it on very much anymore, but if you ever see Enemy Mine, you, you or if you haven't seen Enemy Mine, you really should. And, of course, one other fantastic movie from the 80s, that he directed and co-wrote was the 1984 film The NeverEnding Story. Absolutely one of my favorites. Still held in very high regard uh, from, you know, Gen X and well, pretty much anybody else who's seen it. It's a wonderful movie if you haven't seen it. Definitely, definitely put that on your must-see list. Uh, so Wolfgang Peterson died of pancreatic cancer. He was 81. And then, of course, we have the one that I'm sure everybody already knows about. Olivia Newton-John died at her Southern California ranch. Although she surged in popularity in the early 1970s due to her various songs that she sang, songs like I Honestly Love You, uh, You Have Never Been Mellow, most people probably know her as Sandy, San, Sandra D from the movie Grease, which to this day is still among the top-grossing movie musicals of all time. Both of the songs that uh, she sang on that one that were released as singles, which were Hopelessly Devoted to You, which was written specifically for her, uh, and Summer Nights, where she duetted with John Travolta. Both of those singles made it to the U.S. Top 10, and the film's soundtrack has sold more than 8 million copies just in the U.S. She then went on to make Xanadu, which was the final film role for the great Gene Kelly. Uh, didn't really do all that well, but a lot of the songs from there did very well on, on radio airplay. But unfortunately, she struggled for most of her life with breast cancer. First diagnosed with it in 1992, she recovered, but then it recurred in 2013 and had metastasized to her lower back within four years. So for most of her life, she was an advocate for breast cancer research, 
and finding a cure for that. And although it was not officially announced at the time of her death, the speculation is that it was breast cancer that finally took her life. Olivia Newton-John was 73. There have been many times in the course of this podcast where I would look at an article and think, why? Why? What is, what, what is the reason for this? A lot of times it's because they want to do a sequel to something that really didn't deserve a sequel, or they want to do a spinoff to something that really didn't need a spinoff, and this one happens to be the latter. For reasons completely beyond my comprehension, Paramount... And this is apparently Paramount Pictures, not for Paramount Plus. It doesn't, although at this point it could be streaming. I don't know why it's being made in the first place. But there's going to be a spinoff to the classic Ferris Bueller's Day Off called Sam and Victor's Day Off. And if you don't know who Sam and Victor are, they are the parking lot attendants who went off with the Ferrari while Ferris, Cameron, and Sloan were off having a good time in Chicago. And, and basically, this spinoff is going to follow those two valets for the time that they were off joyriding in the Ferrari. It's, uh, why? <laughs> why? Who asked for this? Who thought this was a cool idea that we absolutely needed 36 years after the original movie came out? I, uh, uh. Okay, anyway, next topic. If you've never heard of a video series called Hot Ones, basically what that is, is you know, this guy will get celebrities in to chat and, and talk about things, but at the same time, what they're doing is eating hot wings of increasing heat. So the sauces just get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. Well, Matt Damon was on that recently, and he explained... Well, I mean, you've heard the thing like they just don't make music like they used to. They don't make movies like they used to. And sometimes you, you, that's passed off as, ah, oh, you know, old generation just doesn't care about the new generation stuff. There's plenty of good stuff coming out, blah, 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 blah. But when it comes to not making movies like they used to, turns out there actually is a financial reason for it. And it probably is actually true. I mean, in the sense that they're just not making movies the way that they used to. <laughs> wow. So I think a scenario lots of viewers can relate to is, is sitting on the couch on a Friday night, going through the streaming services, cycling through the movies and, and thinking to themselves, they're not making movies for me anymore. As somebody who's been intimately involved in movie making for 30 years, what are the macro Hollywood conditions behind that sentiment? Well, so what happened was um, the DVD was a huge part of our business, of our revenue stream. And technology has just made that uh, obsolete. And so the movies that, that we used to make, you could afford to not make all of your money when it played in the theater because you knew you had the DVD coming behind the release. And six months later, you'd get all, you know, a whole nother chunk. It would be like reopening the movie almost. And when that went away, that changed the type of movies that we could make. I did this movie behind the candelabra and I talked to a studio executive who explained it was a $25 million movie. I would have to put that much into print and advertising, right, to, to market it, um, what we call P&A. So I'd have to put that in P&A. So now I'm in $50 million. I have to split everything I get with the exhibitor, right, the people who own the movie theaters. So I would have to make $100 million before I got into profit. And, and the idea of making $100 million on a story about, like, this love affair between these two people 
Yeah, I love everyone in the movie, but I, it's a, that's, a, that's suddenly a massive gamble in a way that it wasn't in the 1990s when they were making all those kind of movies, the kind of movies that I loved and, and the kind of movies that were my bread and butter. Don't worry, I'm not going to start talking about you know, physical media, blah, blah, blah. It's obviously not relevant anymore. That ship has completely sailed, but I found it interesting to find somebody who was actually in the industry to confirm and give, you know, when you think about it, yeah, that made a whole ton of sense. The release of, of the DVDs back then was a huge event. I mean, back in the 90s, the internet as we now use it was in its infancy. You know, those were still dial-up modems and so forth. You, you weren't going to properly pirate and download a movie on a 288 modem. And if you did, it was going to be in this little teeny tiny square, not like, you know, full HD version. So, yeah, I, mean, I remember those days very... Yeah, DVDs were a really big thing. And it wasn't unusual for stores to run out of DVDs for certain movies on release day. So, yeah, when you hear someone, regardless of age, talking about how they just don't make movies like they used to, they're probably right. As much as I might like to say, you know, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, you were wrong. Theaters are still going to be around because of, you know, the whole thing with 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 everybody saying that theaters are now going to die because COVID has made everybody go to streaming. And yeah, well, you know, as long as there are tent poles out there, that's been proven to be false. I mean, hello, Top Gun Maverick, Spider-Man, you know, the problem is they're tent poles. And if there are no tent poles, theaters that don't have some kind of a backup plan might have some issues. Cineworld is one of those theater chains. Now, in the U.S., if you've not heard of Cineworld, they're the owners of Regal. And although they said that they are open for business and, uh, you know, business will continue as usual, they will welcome guests and so forth, they did say that they might possibly be going into, into uh, voluntary Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Possibly. And Chapter 11 is not the end of the world either. All Chapter 11 means is that they're going to reorganize their debt try to acquire new funding. Basically, Chapter 11 is a way to keep creditors off their back until they can restructure and reorganize. For a lot of businesses, that is very successful, and they end up coming out of bankruptcy just fine. If they say they're going under Chapter 7 bankruptcy, yeah, they're hosed and they're liquidating. So don't, don't confuse Chapter 7 with Chapter 11. But even at that, as it says right now, they're just considering it if it is necessary. But even during Chapter 11... Most uh, most businesses that go under Chapter 11 still continue as usual. A lot of bankruptcy proceedings are behind the scenes with the banks, with the creditors. They need to submit new management plans to prove, hey, look, this is what we're going to do to try to become financially liquid again. But I know that there are some headlines out there that were like, Cineworld going under Chapter 11, and no, they're not. They're not. They're considering that Chapter 11 might be necessary. So as usual, don't don't listen to the clickbait. Listen to me. Clickbait and I do not get along. Besides, I mean, with Avatar coming out, that's going to be a big boon for theaters. And then the sequel after that, later this year. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe, maybe if MoviePass actually works this time, that'll help a lot of theater chains as well. We'll see. We'll see. Now, this one is definitely in the rumor category. Uh, sources are saying that Wanda Vision director Matt Shackman is in talks to helm the, 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 well, newest Fantastic Four movie. Obviously, the, uh, the, the last Fantastic Four movie was anything other than Fantastic. It was, it was pretty much a disaster. But that was before Fox got brought into the Mouse House, and now they're under Marvel. So again, this is just a rumor. Supposedly, sources are saying that a formal offer has not been presented, 
but early discussions have begun and things are headed in that direction. We kind of knew they were going to do a Fantastic Four movie anyway, so the fact that they're looking for a director is kind of, well, you know, duh. But there is also a little bit of credence to this because that exact same Matt Shackman has left at the uh, Star Trek movie director seat. Yep, he was supposed to be handling the next Star Trek movie. It's dated as of now, still for December 22nd of 2023. Probably won't have that now. But it even says in here that he dropped out due to scheduling issues because he is jumping to the Fantastic Four movie. So we have confirmation that he's leaving the Star Trek movie because we have a statement here from Paramount. Uh, but we have a rumor that he's going to Fantastic Four, but this says that he is going to Fantastic Four. So, yeah, I'm sure it's a, it's a happy time for the Fantastic Four fans or people who want a new, good, Fantastic Four movie. Um, not so good news for us Trekkies. Just a few more things here, and this one, oh boy. <laughs> you might not know that uh, the original Winnie the Pooh books from A.A. A. Milne have entered the public domain. So that means that anybody can use the Winnie the Pooh and Piglet and Eeyore and so forth. They can use those to their heart's content for any reason whatsoever. They're now open to the public. You, you don't have to pay anybody to get the rights or anything. Exceptions to that are, of course, things like Disney's version, which is not the exact same as the one that A.A. A. Milne released. So no, you cannot use Disney's Pooh or Disney's Piglet. I mean... Those are still protected under Disney's intellectual property and their trademark. But you can still use all of the characters and the, the, the world of Winnie the Pooh. As long as it doesn't reference Disney or anyone else's iteration of it, you can use it for free. Well, boy, did Hollywood jump on this one. <laughs> a new two-minute trailer has dropped, and I'm not going to play it here, but I'll at least send you, you know, put a link in the I'll send it to you, derp. I'll put links in the show notes to it. A two-minute trailer has dropped for a horror retelling of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> uh, so according to this, Christopher Robin has returned to the 100-acre wood to, re to introduce his soon-to-be wife, Mary, to his anthropomorphic animal childhood friends. But the place where he once played with the likes of Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Eeyore, and more has become a dark, abandoned Nightmare. God, I should cue, cue some you know scary music for this. Despite Mary's pleas for them to leave, Christopher declares, I really need to find out what's happened here. What he discovers is the frightening outcome of years of abandonment. At Chris, as Christopher visits, no, as Christopher's visits became more infrequent, his friends grew more hungry. The only survivors, Pooh and Piglet, have gone feral, and they're on the hunt for blood, having already ravaged their fellow friends Eeyore, Tigger, Rue, and more. God. <laughs> Why am I not surprised that the first iteration of Winnie the Pooh in the public domain is horror? Uh, anyway, if you want to watch the trailer, <laughs> I, I, I will... I'll be more power to you. I will have a link in the show notes. And now we're going to end this episode with a little bit of better news. You're a feel-good story for you. Go back to the original Exorcist, and Ellen, Burst Ellen Burstyn played Linda Blair's mother in that particular movie. And she has been asked to come back for several sequels, related movies, that sort of thing. She's always said no. She's never shown any interest in reprising the character, 
And she said that, you know, people would offer her a whole bunch of money and she would still say no. But this time she said yes, but with a catch. She said, this time they offered me a whole bunch of money and I still said no. Then they surprised me and came back and said, we doubled the offer. I said, okay, let me think about this. I thought, that's a lot of money. Let me think about it. The next thought that, I had, that came to mind was, I feel like the devil is asking my price. So what she did was, instead of take the money for that, she said that the next thought that came to my mind was, my price is a scholarship program for the talented students at our master's degree program at Pace University. That's my price. So I went back and up there up and ended up getting what I want. And I've got a scholarship program for young actors. So her role is almost done. I mean, most of her scenes have been shot, although she is going back in November uh, for, for four days of reshoots. But according to this, she very much liked the script. The film is apparently mostly edited, uh, it's set to come out in 2024 on the 50th anniversary of The Exorcist. And now Pace University has a scholarship program in her name. How cool is that? We, we <laughs> tell you, uh, after the past, oh, you know, six, actually after the past 20 years or so, actually it's probably since uh, the past 200 years of this country, we could use more charity like that. Don't worry, not going into politics, I'm just, whatever. Anyway, that's it for this show. It's a little bit over an hour. Well, not too bad. Perhaps I didn't ramble so much this time. But either way, uh, I know me. By the time this is all done and, and ready to go, it'll be past Labor Day. So if you live in the U.S., hope you had a good Labor Day. If you don't live in the U.S., hope you had a good Monday. Anyway, you know where you can reach me, podcast at widescreen.org, or follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, all that stuff, widescreen, John. And as usual, take care of yourself and take care of someone else. Until next time, toodles! I can pray and trick with a double tongue, but the only fool here is me. I choose the way to go, but the road won't set me free. Cause I wish you'd see me, baby. Save me, I'm going crazy. Try to keep us real. Keep us alive. This day we'll die tonight, and it'll we shouldn't wait for nothing to wait for Love me in this fable, babe, my heart is in your hand Our time is waiting right outside your door And maybe tomorrow Is a better day. This podcast is copyright 2022 and is released under the Creative Commons license. Some rights reserved. The Ice Cream Podcast is a proud member of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberrynoise.com. Theme music is by Pose of the Fall and is used with permission. Please visit their website at poseofthefall.com. This has been a widescreen.org production.